Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. As promised on last week's show, John, I went away to Montreal for the long weekend with my wife, had a great time, and I escaped for an afternoon to the Casino de Montreal to play some table games. Uh, the good news, I won $270. The bad news, it was $340 Canadian, so it took a little bit of the thrill out of it when I did the conversion in my head and realized I'd won a little less than I had fooled myself into thinking I had won. I suppose that qualifies as an extreme case of first world problems, though, right, John? Yeah, I guess so, Erica. It reminds me of a vacation we took in Vancouver about 20 years ago. Uh, beautiful city. I've been there before. can be a little pricey, but um, the exchange rate was so good then that uh, – the entire city and country, I, the way I thought of it was it was good for 20 percent off for Americans. You know, so you get a dinner <laughs> bill, you flinch a little, then you realize the American price was well worth it. So uh, uh, that's changed a bit, uh, as you noticed. But um, hey, for you, uh, a winner is a winner. So no problem at all. Yeah, exactly. I, I should be happy to have to have triumphed. I actually I, the, the, the big uh, takeaway was I, I played for about uh, two hours and uh, still couldn't get used to the. Uh, on the face cards, the RDV instead of KQJ. Uh, I, I, I was getting my kings and jacks mixed up throughout and had to really, really, really think think every decision through. Again, first world problems, I suppose. Yeah, that's uh, I, I, you know, I, I would have no shot at that. I'd be lost. I'd, I'd walk out. <laughs> OK, well, thank you to everyone uh, for not walking out on this podcast and for joining us for episode number 48 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 47 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Also, a reminder to check out U.S. Bets' weekly news video, The Gambling Update, available at usbets.com or on the U.S. Bets page on YouTube. The video returns this Friday after a week off for the holiday. Definitely check it out to get your gambling news fix in just three minutes. And Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we'll be joined by Kip Levin. Uh, he's the president and COO of FanDuel Group, uh, among several titles that he holds. Uh, we'll be talking sports betting in New Jersey, FanDuel standing as the market leader, horse racing, official league data, and even more than that uh, with Kip. But uh, first, it's been yet another busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. 
Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start the news segment this week with a subject we've touched on recently, online sports betting coming to D.C., but there was a major development on Tuesday that makes it worth addressing again. The measure to hand the sole source contract for online betting in D.C. to Intralot, the operator of the D.C. lottery, was approved by a close 7-5 to vote with one voter absent and with the final vote cast by Jack Evans, who is currently under investigation for allegedly illegal private business dealings. And among those investigations is one into his alleged connection to an Intralot lobbyist. Despite all of the shady business, uh, despite some strong opposition, the measure passed and Intralot now has a five-year, $215 million contract and, for now, a monopoly in D.C. sports betting. We don't know exactly what pricing Intralot will use, but the consensus insider expectation is that it won't be player-friendly, that the hold will be much higher than what you get in states with competition between multiple vendors. I'll cut right to the chase with my question for you, John. Is this destined to fail? Uh, let's say yes, but I'll, okay. I'll expand on that. Um, okay. yeah, no, they might get some, <laughs> they might get some novelty money in the first year and they will, uh, then presumably Maryland and or Virginia will clean their clocks. Um, no one in DC lives far from a state line. It's just not very big. Um, I'm not even convinced this will be perceived by the public as a sports betting product at all. Um, more likely it just rearranges the deck chairs on the annual consumer spending on a DC lottery. So, you know, some pick five or pick 10 or whatever they have gets less money because there's sports fans that, uh, you know, go over to this. So, they only have a certain a finite money amount of money to spend, so they're going to spend it on one of these things. I think the real DC gamblers obviously will stick to the illegal books, mm-hmm. uh, and many sports fans might as well just make casual bets with their friends and eliminate the middleman. I mean, uh, as ex Green Bay Packers executive and two-time panel colleague of mine Andrew Brandt likes to say, there will be lawyers. <laughs> um, lastly, I wonder if these D.C. council members, many of them older than me, for God's sake, uh, realize that the, the national legal regulated U.S. gaming industry was watching them so intently. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, the thing you hit on there that, uh, you know, I think is the most important element in, in all of this is the, the offshore element that um, it, it's still out there. Uh, and so if this Interlot product has high vigs, say they're offering lines like minus 120 in both directions on, on a game. Nobody. That might be that might be kind. Yeah, actually. and it right, and it, some people are speculating it could be even higher than that. But you know, most places you see minus one ten, and uh, occasionally you get like a points bet coming in and and trying to to uh, be extra customer friendly with minus one hundred five. So yeah, minus one twenty, minus one thirty, whatever it is, nobody who bets offshore currently is going to stop betting offshore. Uh, it, it, it it's just not sustainable if there's a clearly better alternative. And uh, also if the customers who do play with you are burning through their bankrolls too quickly, Uh, you know, a a sports book wants you to lose, but it wants you to lose slowly enough to keep you coming back for more. If it's a quick, unsatisfying experience that doesn't attract much repeat business, you know? And so, yeah, if, if interlots prices suck, it will be a quick, unsatisfying experience for a lot of people. Well, that's why I don't compare it to sports betting necessarily uh, for the public. Right. Uh, the, the public playing the lottery loses a lot of money pretty quickly, <laughs> and that's they keep true. playing. So true. they they don't they don't stop playing because they I don't 
I don't know why they do what they do. I don't play the lottery. <laughs> right. You know, I, I remember the old line, uh, the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math. Yep. <laughs> simple, simple as that. And uh, it looks like sports betting in, in D.C. Uh, might might follow a similar path. All right. Let's move to a state without a monopoly for our second story. In Pennsylvania, online casino games are coming. And there will be numerous competitors, quite possibly a dozen or more eventually. But to start next Monday, July 15th, according to Doug Harbaugh of the Pennsylvania Gaming Control Board, there will be a soft launch for two online casinos and maybe a third. Park Casino is set to launch Monday. It's had a countdown clock on its website for the last several days. And Penn National's Hollywood Casino is also looking almost certain to go live at 2 p.m. Monday. There are eight more that have been conditionally approved and two more whose applications are pending. We're not sure which of those eight that have been approved is the maybe for Monday. I think it's probably Sugar House or Rivers. It could be Harris. But anyway, after much anticipation, uh, about six years after New Jersey, Pennsylvania will, it appears, have online casino gaming next week. We've noted many times in recent months how slowly things develop in Pennsylvania. Does anything about this staggered rollout surprise you, John? <laughs> no, it really doesn't. You know, yeah. it took plenty of years for the first casinos to open their doors in Pennsylvania uh, in 2006. Um, it's just amusing to me that that what took neighboring New Jersey a month offering sports betting took Pennsylvania more than a year. It's uh-huh. the same product, you know. At least they didn't waste 28 years like they did on the casino side uh, before they finally opened and caught up to Atlantic City. But, you know, Pennsylvania's cautiousness may serve online poker well, among others, I think. Um, I've written before how it's clear that for many state legislatures around the country, the fact that brazen states like Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware offer a form of gambling, and they have so many, or Mississippi, the boldest southern state, uh, that doesn't always move the needle for the the, the traditional states. Um, right. Pennsylvania is kind of stodgy, and other states can relate to that. So uh, I think um, while it, I can't really explain why it took so long, I don't think it's uh, necessarily uh, a bad thing. And I think it may be good for expanded uh, legal regulated gambling in the U.S. in general. I like that take. Hadn't thought about it that way, but uh, but that could be true. And, and you mentioned uh, online poker in there. Uh, from what we can tell, nobody is talking about online poker actually being ready to launch on Monday. They're just talking about the yeah. online casino games. So exactly how much longer we'll be waiting for online poker, I can't say. Uh, you'll know that there's online poker in Pennsylvania, John, when you notice I'm slow to respond to every <laughs> message in the office Slack. That's that's your sign that online that's... poker has come to my house. <laughs> um, and speaking of poker, uh, just a quick important news note, uh, just in case anyone hasn't heard, this year's World Series of Poker main event, uh, which is uh, on track to finish next Tuesday night, attracted 8,569 entries, the second largest field ever, uh, up about 10% over last year, and only 204 players shy of the record set in 2006. So even without much of an online poker market here and without too many online satellites, the WSOP is getting back up to poker boom era numbers. So that's encouraging to see. Yeah, well, you know, Eric, you've written about how enormous the fields are now, and it's that it's basically impossible for even the best pro to win twice, and it's nearly impossible for the best pro to win even once at this <laughs> right. point. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm picturing a 10,000 player bracket someday, and uh, we'll have the technology to somehow, you know, put that on a on a computer screen but uh you know the top player gets a bite of the final table next 10 clinch a top 100 spot and so on so it's not impossible for cinderella to win but it's also nice to be insured of some big names at the final table and uh that that probably seems uh exotic but you know the pga tour uh 
uh, in a few weeks is going to uh, roll out a, a kind of a bizarre change to the tour championship. Um, so the number one player starts the event at minus 10. Uh, second place is minus eight down to players 26 through 30. They're the last qualifiers. They started even par or 10 shots back. So if wow. the PGA tour can get that exotic, then anything is possible for poker. <laughs> well, that would be a massive structural overhaul yeah. uh, for, for poker. And I guess the, the tricky thing will be because it costs the $10,000 to enter, getting people to mm-hmm. be willing to enter at a, a disadvantage beyond just the fact that they're worse than the other players. Um, but but getting back to your original point of just how impossible it is to, to win, uh, one, of the, one of the quotes, maybe the quote that stands out to me from when I was doing all the interviews for what became my book, uh, The Moneymaker Effect, about the 2003 World Series of Poker was the later-to-be-disgraced uh, Howard Letterer, um, who finished, I want to say, 19th or something that year in, in 03, something like that, and had been to the final table once uh, many years before that. He said that the feeling of busting out that year was the worst feeling he's ever had because he was almost certain he would never come that close again and that that was kind of the last year that a pro could go into it feeling like he had a realistic chance to win that ever since the field went from 800 something that year to 2500 the next year you couldn't really go in anymore actually believing you had a realistic shot yeah i you know as a sort of a casual follower i definitely would want to know that i've come to see a couple of names that i'm familiar with at the final table um and there's a way to do that um like you say given given the money the entry fees and everything it's it's a lot more complicated than the pga tour but again this is gambling and the pga tour is pretty uh uh, straight laced so I, i think that there's it's possible yeah, as we record this on a Thursday morning, heading into day six of the main event, there's like a little over 100 players left. Richard Seymour of the Patriots just got busted late in the day yesterday. So that's spoiler, one big... Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, oh. spoiler alert. <laughs> well, come on, it all aired already. It's all it's right, it's all, right. all been on TV. What, what uh, did you have it sitting on your DVR waiting to well, watch it after you know, this? Somebody out there does. They're right. Right now. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I should have said spoiler alert. Well, <laughs> one more spoiler alert, then I'll just note that the biggest name remaining in the field is Antonio Esfan. He's in decent shape as of now, but that could all change uh, anytime on day six, of course. Uh, All right. Uh, Enough poker for our third story this week. Um, Well, I'm mostly going to step aside and let you explain this one, John, since it's a story you've been covering closely for quite a few years now. The basic setup is that there was a Third Circuit Court of Appeals hearing in Philadelphia last week that you attended with the New Jersey Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association, or the Horsemen for short, pursuing both $3.4 million from the sports leagues and a separate $150 million from the leagues for essentially blocking them from offering sports betting in the past. And the short version of what came out of the hearing is that the horsemen are a favorite to win the $3.4 million, but an underdog to win the $150 million. So, John, you're the expert here. Please do a better job than I did of explaining this case and where you think it's headed after last week's court hearing. Uh, well, that's not bad, Eric. Um, yeah, this was oral argument in a complicated case. Um, there was a $3.4 million bond put up by the sports leagues in 2014 for the few weeks between a restraining order against the horsemen getting to offer sports betting in Monmouth Park and then the final injunction issued by a federal judge. Um, but four years later, the Supreme Court effectively said the horsemen never really were prevented from offering that betting once the state passed its law because the 1992 federal law passed by Congress known as PASPA was never constitutional. There was even a, a Schro- Schrodinger's cat reference. Uh, it's well known to big bang theory aficionados about, uh, you know, what is and what isn't, what's the real, what's not. So um, 
Throughout this year-old sequel, the horsemen have revived their provocative claims that the league commissioners blatantly lied under oath. That's the, the quote, lied under oath in their depositions about the supposed harm that sports betting would do if it was legalized beyond Nevada. You know, so they want to win a big payday based on bad faith. But Judge Marjorie Rendell, now she's the ex-wife of the Pennsylvania governor who right. brought casinos to Pennsylvania – thereby inducing New Jersey lawmakers to try to save Atlantic City with innovations such as the sports betting that was overturned in spite of Rendell's vote, if that uh, adds up. You said it, <laughs> I said it was complicated. Right. Um, and uh, so Rendell reminded us that U.S. District Court Judge Mike, Michael Shipp, uh, he's the brother of ex-NFL running back Marcel Shipp. Yes, really, and of course he is. Uh, he never did take that bait. So as she put it, she said, we are a reviewing court. We don't address avoided issues. So the sense of it is that because Ship never took that bait and didn't even say, no, the leagues absolutely were honest and it's ridiculous to say that they acted in bad faith and, and they're, then that could be reviewed by the Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. But he just didn't didn't address it. So she was hinting that she's not going to look at damages because um, it's not in, the, in, the, in their case. So uh, that's why my over-under is $3.4 million. Hmm. Yeah, we, a weird little sort of legal technicality, I guess. There, yeah, that, it seems uh, makes all the difference too. That you know, because you have a judge that you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, not only sided every time with a certain side, but didn't even address some of the um, angles of the other side to where that could be reviewed by the over court. But you know. Uh, I'm not an attorney. <laughs> right. Well, uh, I, I enjoy how uh, whenever you, you write about this case, you point out all the interesting familial relations. And uh, we, we got we got Governor Governor Rendell's ex-wife and uh, the NFL running back's brother. Uh, you, you left out uh, Trump's sister this time. Uh, she's she's she usually gets a mention in these uh, in, in your articles on this. But uh, it's yes, just the, I'll mention I'll mention it now. The, yeah. Yeah, so the, the two to one um, Third Circuit ruling that the Supreme Court overturned had, yes, those two judges. So one was Marjorie Rendell, who I just mentioned, and the other was Donald Trump's sister, <laughs> which, uh, you know, I can't make it up. Right, exactly. Um, big picture, just uh, just taking a step back now, uh, looking at it, the way this whole case is all built around the leagues having done everything in their power to prevent legal sports betting. It's, it's just kind of hilarious now. now. Now that they've all embraced sports betting and have partnered with casinos, it's you just look back and say, what, what were you guys thinking? How, how did you fail to understand that sports betting is good for interest in your product? Uh, well, you know, one of the things I wrote about a couple of weeks ago is whether we can get uh, the unredacted versions of these uh, depositions, because I, I read quite a few of them, but there was a lot redacted. But, you know, right. uh, and my favorite continues to be, I think Commissioner Bud Seeley could pass a lie detector test even today by being convinced that um, nobody who's a baseball fan would bet on the sport. Like that's not <laughs> baseball fans would have no interest. There's gamblers. He knows that's true. Right. And they do this illegal stuff, except outside of uh, except in Nevada. But nobody who's a baseball fan would ever bet on that game. And uh, he came across as very sincere to me. <laughs> Maybe uh-huh. misguided, but sincere. <laughs> All right. Let's get the polygraph. Let's find out. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
This coming Saturday, FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands in New Jersey will turn one year old. So it's a perfect time to welcome the president and COO of FanDuel Group onto the podcast. Kip Levin is also the CEO of Horse Racing Broadcast Network TVG. And of course, FanDuel is one of the two giants of the daily fantasy sports industry, in addition to its more recent emergence as a leader in American sports betting. So there's a lot to talk about here when it comes to the world of gambling. Kip, thanks so much for joining us this week on Gamble On. Yeah, guys, uh, thanks for having me. Happy to happy to discuss uh, any and all topics. So, <laughs> Okay, well, we'll start with this. Uh, as we've covered extensively on our site and on this podcast, each month, FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, in combined mobile and land-based action, pulls away a little more as the clear leader in New Jersey. So a couple of questions. First, how close to expectations has this first year been in terms of, you know, when you pass DraftKings for number one and how clear the margin has become over the last few months? Uh, I'll let you answer that and then I'll ask my second question. Sure. Well, look, I think, it, look, we're still use the baseball analogy since we're in the midst of uh, the baseball season. I mean, we're still in the first inning, still early days. Um, you know, I'd say, look, our, we, we've definitely – uh, surpassed our expectations, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, our position in the market, the size of the market, I mean, is, is, has been, uh, I mean, it's been really great to see the explosive growth we've seen so far, definitely a very clear indication that, you know, that the, the size of the illegal market that, you know, everybody had sort of had a range of predictions of how, how big it was, um, you know, I think clearly was, you know, and is based on the, the evidence you see in New Jersey, um, you know, these people who came in and are and are playing with us on a daily basis um, clearly had a lot of experience, right? So, um, so we're 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 really pleased, um, exceeding expectations, both online, you know, retail, obviously, um, you know, we have a great partnership with with the Meadowlands, and and obviously the location there has been um, been really key to the to the success of that business. Okay, and then so my second question uh, about the customer base and, and uh, the, the, the uh, bets and traffic you're attracting, uh, your ability to attract New York residents, uh, I believe they represent 25% of your mobile customer base, that isn't changing anytime soon. Um, but I'm curious, since brick and mortar sports betting went live in Pennsylvania, and more significantly, since online sports betting started in Pennsylvania at the end of May, have you noticed a difference in Pennsylvania customers using FanDuel Sportsbook in New Jersey? Um, that's a good question. I think we, we really have not. Um, that's not to say it's not going to come. I think as, you know, as you see mobile really expand there, um, certainly we would expect that, you know, the people that are sort of crossing over the border and playing from a mobile standpoint um, in southern New Jersey, you know, might, might drop off a little bit. But, but retail, you know, which, again, the market's still largely retail-driven, um, retail hasn't had a huge impact from what we've seen so far. Okay. All right, okay, let's talk about the Haskell horse race uh, that's coming up at uh, Monmouth Park on July 20th, one of the big uh, uh, thoroughbred events of the year, really. And um, you obviously TVG is a big partner there, uh, one of your yep. uh, partners, might say. Um, so what sort of betting options uh, uh, will you offer for that, or, or, or what can you offer, really? Uh, and also about horse racing in general, just um, does sports betting cannibalize the, the better's discretionary income, or can it somehow be a boost to horse racing? 
Well, look, I'll, so I'll start with your first question, which I, I, mm-hmm. I actually don't know the specifics of what we would be offering from okay. a fixed dollars perspective. I know that um, there are a few different options that were tested out. I don't, I actually don't know um, if what we've got clearance to do this year. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, you guys know Dennis very well. He's certainly on the forefront of, of pushing that forward. Um, you know, we have, we actually sit in an interesting position, right? Because we run TVG is the sort of monopoly partner of the state that runs the ADW business um, for racing there. So we've had a pretty good view of the impact of legalized sports betting on online horse racing in New Jersey. And I, I'd say, from what we can tell, there isn't, um, there hasn't been a huge amount of cannibalization. Uh, which has been good to see. Again, I think indicative of the fact that you know the people that were playing on TVG.com were branded as foreign J bets in New Jersey, but the people that were doing that were, were likely already um, doing sports betting in some capacity before it got um, before it got legalized. So you know they're just shifting their behavior to to what you know the now available legal options. Um, I, I am I personally believe that. You know, there's a huge opportunity for racing. Um, you know, we operate the largest, you know, online ADW um, business in the U.S. and TVG. And, you know, I just think, you know, if you look at the traffic that we have on, you know, the FanDuel Sportsbook app every day next to the amount of traffic that are going to, you know, the TVG site in New Jersey every day, you know, it's upwards of 15 to 20 times the amount of people. Right. So, hmm if you can just convert a small percentage of those people to bet on racing inside of a sports betting app, um, I think there's a huge opportunity to grow interest in the sport and to grow the overall sort of onshore handle slash turnover slash revenue that is sort of fed into racing. So, you know, I think there's a few steps that will need to happen um, in order to get to that point, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a great opportunity for the sport. All right. Uh, on, on a very different subject here, uh, focusing on a, a specific sector of sports, on the heels of the equal pay chance at the end of the Women's World Cup, I'm curious how women's sports are performing for you as betting markets. We just had the Women's World Cup. We have Wimbledon going on right now, where the women tend to be a comparable TV draw in America to the men. Are you seeing any telling patterns about your customers' interest in betting on women's sports? I, I mean, the the interest in the Women's World Cup, I'll just talk specifically to that because I've spent okay. more time looking at that. We're obviously still in the middle of Wimbledon, but I would say that it dramatically exceeded everybody's expectations. Um, you know, I think, and it's interesting, right? We have guys that are, you know, in our, our risk in our trading team who sell of our lines, who build the markets and so on. You know, they've come from our international businesses in, in Europe and Australia. You know, th- they you know, they've never seen anything like it, right? Hmm. You know, when you look at our businesses elsewhere around the world. Um, and it's really exciting. I think it's really sort of telling to the popularity of women's sports here. Um, but I, I would say, look across, I looked at some of the numbers across our global business, um, again, between Europe here um, in New Jersey and Australia and the Women's Cup uh, semifinal between the U.S. and England was the largest um was the largest women's sporting event in terms of total turnover um, in the history of Patty Power Betfair, which has now been renamed as the Flutter Group. Um, and the, the women's final was um, slightly less. Um, obviously, the England-U.S. matchup drew a lot of interest in, in the U.K. as well. Um, but 
you know, by a, by a small margin. So they were the top two event, women's sporting events, team sports events um, in the history of our global business. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's good to hear that it's doing well. I mean, I suppose one could wonder, you know, if, if the Women's World Cup was taking place overlapping with NFL season, would it get totally lost in the shuffle that maybe it's, uh, it benefits somewhat from occurring when it does, but that's still, that's still good to hear that, it, uh, that it's driving so much business for you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't bet on that. I mean, it was, um, it was definitely a huge draw. And I think, you know, I think if you had it, you know, in the U.S. time zones and in prime time mm. here, it could have been even bigger. So, um, so again, we were, we were really excited to see it and a, a testament to the, you know, um, the, to the, the abilities of the, the U.S. women's team. I think they really were, you know, obviously phenomenal and, um, uh, you know, drew huge national interest. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Kip, you know, you're going to one year anniversary this weekend, and it's just about that long that sports leagues have started seeking, or some of them have, uh, integrity fees, and that morphed into royalties, and now they're more focused on official league data. But, you know, there's a lot of discussion of uh, whether legislatures should mandate that, um, whether leagues can mandate it uh, privately, whether they should. So I'm just curious about, you know, FanDuel's experience with all this in the past year, and, and is, is there any kind of happy medium between the leagues threatening to cut up access to it, uh, if to the info? if the operators don't pay up uh, you know there's a lot of talk about it but what's the reality on the ground here uh look we we don't uh, you know obviously so two sides of it from our perspective one you know we so we are in commercial agreements with um, the nba and with the nhl um we find commercial value in striking these agreements with them to get access to the data to get access to marketing channels that we might not otherwise get access to um you know, our point of view is that it should be a commercial negotiation. I mean, I think for us in particular, the data is valuable, um, you know, because we, I mean, we're doing close to 50% of our turnover is in play now. Um, so, you know, having access to, to data that's helping sort of drive the, the algorithms that set our in-play lines um, has commercial value to us. Uh, but, but again, we, our, our view is that it should be a commercial negotiation. And if, uh, you know, an operator like us decides that there's commercial value in striking a deal, um, whatever the construct of it is, then, like, it should be up to us, right? And, you know, um, I, just not something that we view should be written in a statute and, and dictated by that. Yeah, I've been really fascinated by the last couple of years. I mean, you know, obviously the leagues would like to get a piece of the action. That's understandable. Their business and their product is involved with someone else's business. I get that. And then there was a sense, though, for yeah, for a pregame bet, what what do you need official league data for? Who, who won the game? But in game, look, and if you're look, I'd say yeah. if you're if you're an operator that's largely driving your business via pregame bets, then you should have the options, and you know, yeah. um, that's your decision, right? But we, you know, I think the way we approach it. Um, you know, we're trying to, to to build, you know, a new modern sort of technology driven, um, you know, obviously largely recreational product experience for our customers. And, you know, that means that for us, in play is very strategically important. And, you know, doing it in partnership with the leagues has been has been great. Right. And, um, you know, look, I think the other aspect of it is, you know, we view the competition very much to be the illegal markets. Um, these are things that they're all doing, and, and we feel it's important, one, to be able to have a competitive product with the sort of the offshore online guys, one, and then two, right, to have the brand um, stamp that, hey, we're an official partner of the leagues is also an important differentiator, um, you know, as we're 
sort of viewing them as the as the competition. Interesting. Um, so last thing, uh, I know you're based in uh, in Santa Monica these days, uh, and uh, L.A. has kind of been uh, ground zero for NBA craziness the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah. you're, you're you're originally from uh, New England, I, I believe. So do you do you have any horse in this uh, Lakers Clippers thing? Uh, and uh, company wise, do, does FanDuel have any major <laughs> exposure on the Clippers at a high price before they landed uh, Kawhi and Paul George? Well, personally, I'm a Celtics fan, so okay. so I adopted the the Clippers when I moved out here 20 years ago yep. um, as my as my LA team for obvious reasons. Um, right. You know, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think the Clippers we currently have as the favorites on the board to win. So um, I don't know what our current positions are. Um, you know, but it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a really fun season ahead. Certainly to see all the the changes, and I know it's given our our pricing guys and our risk and trading guys fit that they're trying to figure out, um, you know, how to, uh, how to, how to drop the lines as they're looking at all the changes going on. But uh, it's going to be a really, a really exciting season for sure. Yep. All right. Uh, well, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us, Kip and congratulations on the, on the one year anniversary in New Jersey. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me. Two men, Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We have two new results in this week, uh, but since we're coming off the MLB All-Star break, it's a good time to update all of our MLB futures. And before we do that, let's get caught up on our NBA futures in the wake of some recent player movement. Uh, as we discussed with Kip just moments ago, Kawhi Leonard is going to the LA Clippers, and so is Paul George, which we didn't see coming. So our bet a few weeks ago on the Clippers to win the NBA title at plus 1,400 is looking fantastic. They're now down to about plus 300 and are considered the favorite in most books. Uh, last week, I bet the 76ers at plus 450 to win the East, hoping Kawhi would go to one of the LA teams. So that bet now looks very good also. The Sixers are down to about plus 250, depending on the sports book. Uh, and we still have the Knicks under 29 and a half wins. No real changes on that front. Um, over to baseball. Uh, back before the the season began I took the Rockies over 83 and a half wins they were looking good until losing their last six in a row before the all-star break so they're now 44 yeah they're now 44 and 45 on pace for 80 wins uh, you bet the Reds over 79 wins uh, they're currently 41 and 46 on pace for 76 wins so in both cases we're about three wins off pace uh, at this point I'd be happy to go one for two on those um and then there's my Astros Indians division winner parlay bet. The Astros are currently up seven and a half games in the West. The Indians are down five and a half in the Central, but they are closing the gap on the Twins, uh, and they have an easier schedule coming up and plenty of head-to-head -head games left. So we'll see. We're still alive there, and uh, just in case, I do have a small hedge bet on the Twins that I made several weeks ago. Then there's our Reds 25 to one NL Central bet, which mm. looks fine. They're uh, four and a half games out in that tightly bunched division. Uh, if you tried to bet them currently, they're about plus one. 
1,000. So uh, we did we did good to get him at 25 to 1, but uh, still a long way to go, of course. So that's a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, John, anything to comment on regarding our futures bets? Well, it, it sounds like we're, we're no longer drawing dead anywhere. I, I like that right, a lot. Right. Um, you know, I, I wonder what we could sell that Clippers 14 to 1 ticket for right now. Um, and uh, meanwhile, I'll be in Minneapolis for the uh, Nickel G's conference this weekend, and the, the Twins happen to be playing your, your Indians. Um, one small catch, <laughs> the games are in Cleveland. Damn Ah, so you can't go. Oh, well. Yeah. But I guess that's better better news for the Indians, at least, that it's a home set. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, as for our actual results that are in, I bet Coco Goff at plus 172 to win her second round match at Wimbledon, and she did. So we won 172 bucks there. We gave back 50 bucks on your Chile-Peru penalty kicks bet. Uh, Chile lost 3 nothing. That means we were plus $122 for the week, and we're in the red by a mere $51. We also have $1,655 tied up in futures bets, so that leaves us with $8,294 available to bet this week, and you're up first, John. Uh, I did not expect to make this pick uh, while doing my research. Uh, usually I am ruthless against those fighting Father Time, which is kind of ironic, one might say. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Serena Williams is 37. Uh, she's had a couple of hiccups in this tournament. Um but you know what? Give me 100 to 105 on Serena winning Wimbledon. Um, her semifinal opponent is in her first major semi at age 33. Uh, the main worry, Simona Halep, does not uh, you know, thrive on grass, really. Uh, I need Serena to win twice, but I think she will. Um, so let's see. Do the math. Uh, it's only 22 years or so since I had lunch with her and her mom at Mars <laughs> 2020 restaurant in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, WTA Tour was trying to help the young players learn the media ropes. And uh, let's just say I didn't ask her about uh, U.S. politics or international diplomacy <laughs> or anything like that. I think she was 15. So. Right. <laughs> uh, I do like the bet. Uh, and uh, for the record, uh, as we're recording this before Serena starts her semifinal match, John's bet is, is legit here, uh, just in case anyone hears this slightly after she has, she starts that match. But, uh, yeah, I like the bet. I, to me, uh, any any kind of plus money on her to win this tournament right now is excellent. Um, I'm going to make my first bet uh, over in the men's bracket at Wimbledon. Uh, the semifinals are set, and Federer versus Nadal is obviously the big attraction. But I'm more interested in betting the other match. You, you have Novak Djokovic to win the whole tournament. And this isn't really a hedge on that, although it could be seen as sort of a hedge and sort of a bet that works in conjunction with yours. Djokovic is facing big underdog Roberto Bautista Agut of Spain. They've played 10 times before. Djokovic has won seven. Bautista Agut has won three. Uh, They've never played each other on grass, but four of their matches were on clay and Djokovic won all of them. On hard courts, they're tied 3-3, and Batista Agut, in fact, won the last three of those, including two this year. Now, grass is different than hard courts, but it's closer to hard courts than it is to clay. Um, bottom line, Batista Agut has shown he can hang with Djokovic, and FanDuel has Batista Agut at plus 102 simply to win at least one set. I was tempted to take him to win the whole match at 10 to 1, but instead I'll be conservative uh, and I'll make this bet, which doesn't contradict your Djokovic title bet. Mm-hmm. Batista Agut, just to win at least one set, risking $100 to win 102. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can see that. I'm not offended. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no pins and needles there. Right. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, the worst main PGA Tour event of the year on the U.S. is in the U.S. is at hand. Um, it's the John Deere quote air quote classic uh, close air <laughs> quote. Uh, no no offense to the good people of Iowa, but one of the four featured groups includes Cameron Champ, Joel Damon, and Daniel Berger. Oof. 
So, uh, but there's money to be made, right? So, give me a hundred to win two hundred and fifty on Wyndham Clark. Uh, only golfing families would name a kid after a hotel chain that happens to be a tour sponsor, by the way. Um, he just has to finish in the top twenty for a hundred to win two fifty. So, there are only really, you know, four or five talented college guys. Uh, I like Victor Hovland a lot there, um, but the odds on all of them are less favorable. So, uh, give me the slightly under the radar, even for this tournament, uh, Wyndham Clark. Okay, I have uh, never heard of Wyndham Clark before, <laughs> but uh, I'm a Wyndham Clark fan this weekend, I guess. There we go. Um, it is tough to find sports to bet this time of year, as evidenced by you reaching into the <laughs> Wyndham Clark barrel. Uh, so let's go back to my comfort zone, boxing. Uh, 40-year-old Manny Pacquiao faces Keith Thurman in two Saturdays, July 20th. So uh, I might make more bets on this fight next week, since we still have some time. Um, but I, I have one I'm going to make for now. It's been interesting watching watching the odds move. Uh, Pacquiao started as the underdog. Now he's the favorite. To me, this has the makings of a close fight that probably goes the full 12 rounds. So when a fight shapes up that way, you can't go too wrong taking a long shot bet on the draw. The best price I found on the draw in this fight is plus 1800 on BetStars. So let's do it. Uh, I think there's better than a 1 in 19 chance this fight ends in a draw. So let's risk 25 bucks to win 450 A lot of upside, not much downside. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, the floor is yours. Please take us out. Yeah, Eric, uh, you know, for those of you out there who follow me uh, on Twitter or here uh, or both, um, who will also be in Minneapolis for the the National Council of Legislators from Gaming States. No wonder they call it Nickel Cheese. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, conference this weekend. Uh, you know, feel free to say hello. I've got a few more stories in the tank, and I think so pick a topic, and I'll see what I can do. And with that, until next time, gamble on.